All right. Well, um, by way, a couple of quick announcements. Remember, this Saturday we're having our annual church gathering, our church meeting. Um, if you're going to be there, we would ask that you would go on the app and that you would register, you and the many people you're bringing, just so we have the right amount of food. We don't want to buy too much or too little. We're trying to be good stewards with that. Um, so get on there. If you don't want to know the app, you don't want to get on the app, but you still want to be faithful, just grab Mike, Zach's in the back, Reggie's back there. They'll register you for you. I mean, we're that simple around here. So we will take care of you. We just want to make sure you got a sandwich. That's all. That's all we're trying to do. Um, so that's this Saturday. Anyone can come. It's open. It is not going to be recorded. It is not going to have a live stream. There's not going to be any path. You have to be in this room to be there. So I encourage you guys to be there. It's a lot of fun. We have a good time. And that's Saturday from 10 to 2. Also, um, if you are part of the youth group that's going down to the um, – help me out here, Ethan. Uh, the what? You've got to say things shorter and louder to me. Rock the, Rock the universe. Thank you. If you're a part of that, um, stand by for updates from JJ and Ethan as they're getting together. That is coming up. Keep that in prayer because that's the weekend after next, right, Ethan? Not this weekend, next weekend. Thank you. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Somebody knows what's going on in this place, and it's more than just Jesus, and it definitely ain't me. All right, we are in Joshua chapter 10. We're continuing. I am excited because we get to talk about all my favorite things, the Lord and history and warfare. I mean, this is just like all my favorite subjects all in one. But more importantly for all of us, there's going to be practical applications for each and every one of our lives as we review these things. If you remember, last week we left off with this giant confederation of enemies that had gathered together with a frontal attack. But the Gibeonites were sneaky, and they made an alliance with Israel by being tricky. But we also saw how through God's grace, God is going to use that. But we left off on a cliffhanger. What about all these armies that were coming against them? Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to start verses 1 through 5 to get our answers for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. These lessons are millennia old, and yet they're so true and so faithful for today as well. We pray we'd be growing in your word. We pray that we would continue to have our desire for your word and our relationship with you stoked every time we're in your presence. Pray your will would be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's try and uh, allow me to assassinate some names, shall we? Verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty, therefore Adonizedah, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Javiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, 
gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. So a lot of names, a lot of things going on here. Did you notice those things about Gibeon? If you remember the last chapter, Gibeon decided to be the servants, the lowest level servants in the nation of Israel rather than fight against them. Now, they lied, they manipulated, they cheated to make this happen. And we saw that Israel kept their promise. That's going to be important in a little bit. But did you notice that the other kings are very upset with Gibeon because they're so mighty, a great and royal city with many mighty men? They, they went from the top to being servants. But it is far better to be a servant of the Lord than to be a mighty man of the world. And we're going to see why here in a little bit. Now, all these kings... Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, they show us that the Canaanites are not a united country under one king. They're city-states. So each mayor, if you would, of that fortress is the king of that area. And so they have to gather together, and that's what they do. They're unifying here. But they're just as often to fight each other. But they're united in opposition to God. Now, strategically speaking, Israel has come into the promised land and has split the Canaanites in half. Now, this is all the southern kings or the big southern kings. There's still a northern area that needs to be conquered, just to, just to build some background here. And as they've taken these areas, Jericho, Ai, the Gibeonites, they have taken the center portion, but they're just getting started. They're just getting started. Now, I can't help it, but the city of Eglon, in the book of Judges is one of the favorite Bible stories in my family. If I ask the kids what they want to study, half the time they want to study about that. I'm just giving you a little extra credit. Go find Eglon, King Eglon, in the book of Judges. Enjoy that story. Grandparents, you want to pick a Bible study to have with your grandkids? That's the one. I know. I just just wetting your appetite a little bit. Now let's read verses 6 through 9. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. I wish we kept our promises like this. I mean, this is the perfect opportunity for Israel to just renege, to just do nothing. Remember, Gilgal tricked them. They tricked them, the Gibeonites. They tricked them into being their servants. They had to put up with it. And they kept their promise in the last chapter, even though the people were against the leaders. But they said, we made an oath to God and we're going to keep that. So what has happened is these kings with all their armies, they're not going to attack Israel straight up. They've seen them win too many battles miraculously. So they attack the Gibeonites at Gilgal. All of those armies are against them. Now, the Gibeonites, for some reason or some way, they're able to hold them off for a little amount of time to send a runner to Israel. And to tell them, hey, we need your help. Remember, we're your servants. We are under your hand. Just come and deliver us. And all Joshua had to do was say, you know, 
We're keeping our oath. We said you could be our servants. We didn't say we'd protect you. We didn't say we'd fight for you. No, this is what you get for tricking us. I made an oath against God's word. He told us not to make covenants with the Canaanites. You're a Canaanite, you know, sorry. But what does Joshua do? Not only does he keep his word in the last chapter, he's willing to sacrifice to keep his word. He gathers all the army, and it says they march all night long, and they immediately, it says here, immediately come to the aid of the Gibeonites. You know, things happen in our life. Mistakes are made in our lives. But we need to follow through. We need to continue to be upright for God because we represent him. It's like, Mike, give us a modern-day example. Hey, listen, if you had, you're married before, and you had ch- children with that spouse, regardless of how long you're, you're to support and to raise your children up, even if that house is broken, to the best of your ability. We're not going to pretend like everything's hunky-dory and it's normal. We're, gonna, we're not going to pretend like, hey, this was God's plan all around that I was going to get divorced. No, it was not his plan. But he's a gracious, loving, and good God. And we're going to stand by our commitments for our children. We're going to stand by our commitments to be faithful, and we're going to follow through. If you make a contract, if you give your word, if you shake hands on something, we're not supposed to do the bare minimum to just say we kept our word. We're to follow through all the way because we don't serve man, do we? We serve God. We honor God with our lips. We honor God with our hands and with our work. So these guys march all night long. Not only are they going to defend them, they're going to fight. And I, I want to continue to reiterate this because we're, we're desensitized to all these movies that we watch, right? And all these movies, you know, there's a big battle. Everybody goes home and all the main characters are fine. These people have no idea what's going to happen. They haven't read the Bible. They haven't read the book of Joshua, to be sure, because those pages are getting written. They don't know they're going to win. Their lives are on the line. When they're marching all night long to fight all five Canaanite cities at the same time, they don't know if they're going to win. They don't know if they're going to live to the next day. They're going to be in hand-to-hand combat for their very lives to stick up for the word of these politicians. But they do it. They do it, and they fulfill that vow. Oh, if we had the same sense of honor, what would it be like to be a Christian? What would the church be like if Christians acted not just keeping the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law? And what is the spirit of the law? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We make rules for ourselves, and when we try and keep those rules, instead we should go all in. Now, we're going to talk about that in a little bit here, but we see it beginning in verses 10 through 15. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Asakah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Asakah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, 
stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or it or after it. And the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now we've got a lot to unpack in these few verses here. First of all, let's just point out the miraculous. This is a crazy miracle. Crazy miracle. We'll talk about that a little bit. But before we do, before we do, I hear too many pastors, they get to this section of Scripture, and they want to talk for a whole 35 minutes about all the different possible ways that the sun stood still. And we're missing the forest for the trees. We're missing the important application here. And so we're going to talk about that here a little bit, but I don't want us to get lost to the meaning here. Joshua and his armies are fighting. Remember, they marched all night long to keep their word, to go and attack the nations that are against them. They're fighting to the death. They're very victorious. And then God comes alongside and starts casting giant boulders from the sky, hailstones, and starts destroying the enemy. Now, let's start with just that in and of itself. So many Christians today, we sit on our couch, we wait at home, we sit in the chair at church, and we pray, Lord, will you deliver me from my enemies? Lord, cast down boulders from heaven. Lord, I need miracles to happen. But you're sitting at home. Fulfill the promises that you made. They don't know that this is going to happen when they left their camp in the middle of the night. They didn't know they were going to be victorious. They didn't know that they were going to win. They didn't know that God was going to come down and cast boulders from heaven. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't understand why we're waiting for God to tell us what to do. We need to be leading. He needs to be leading us step by step. What I mean by waiting for God to tell us what to do is you keep waiting for the 10 point plan. You want to know the timeline You want to know which steps to make. You want to evaluate which steps you want to make with God for the best results. And the Lord says to walk by faith and not by sight. That's instruction number one. So get to work. He tells us all kinds of things in his scripture, but we keep waiting for the miracle. And God can do miracles whenever he wants. There's no formula. He is sovereign. But many times it's on our walk with faith. It's in the areas where we think that all is lost or the greatest stress or the deepest, darkest night or the longest march where you're contemplating, am I even going to survive this when God comes through with with miracles? The Lord wants to do this with us. He doesn't need us, but he wants to do this with us. So the battle's taking place. These hailstones are coming down. And then I want you to see this. What does Joshua pray? Lord, wipe out the rest of these enemies with these hailstones. He doesn't pray that. Lord, let us rest now and bless us while you send your angels from heaven to destroy all of our enemies. God will do that in other portions of the scripture. That's not what he prays. What does he pray here? And this is what I mean by too many pastors missing the whole point. He prays, Lord, let the sun stay out longer. Make this day go longer so we can finish this fight. You you catching that? 
so we can continue to fight. Don't make it easier. Don't take away the path. Lord, just make, give us the energy. Give us the ability to continue to do what we're doing. What do we pray? Lord, get us out of here. That's what we pray. Come on, that's in your, your prayer closet. When you pray, Lord, take this away. Lord, get this out of here. The Lord here in this chapter, you can tell I'm excited. He literally stops the sun. Now, does that mean he stopped the sun or the earth goes around the sun? So does that mean that he stopped the earth? Well, then the gravitational pull would make everybody move. So that can't be it. Was it a comet that came through? Was it the introduction of Venus into the atmosphere? As according to Emmanuel Delikovsky on Worlds and Collisions, which I've heard like 337 times. I'm going to tell you a secret. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. The Bible says very clearly here. Hasn't happened since and won't happen again. That's what it says here. I'm going back to, are you praying for the Lord? Lord, it's hard right now. It's difficult right now. Lord, we are fighting right now. We're wrestling against the enemy. Things are tough. Please keep it going longer. That's not what you're praying. Don't lie to me. Pinocchio noses. You're praying, Lord, make it go away. Make it stop. It's too hard. The journey's too dark. I can't see where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. My sword's too short. I'm worried about getting hurt. I don't want to die. Things are difficult. Christian, we should be praying, Lord, let this keep happening. Use me. Continue to do this. The battle is too short. Make it longer. That's what Joshua's praying. And the Lord listens to him. Yeah, I want to be a part of that, the Lord says. And I don't know how he did it. The scripture is very clear that he allowed that day to be longer for there to be an even greater victory. Incredible. And I pray, to you, I pray that you would pray the same. For some of you, you need to be encouraged this evening to get off the couch, to get out of the church seat, to get in the battle. For some of you, it's an encouragement. Yeah, you made some bad choices, but the Bible says you reap what you sow. But you're going to reap it with such passion that you're going to bless the Lord with it. And with some of us, we just need to be encouraged. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. It's tough. That's what you signed up for. Ephesians 6, you got armor and weapons for a battle, not for the vacation home, not to go to the retirement center. You don't have those things to go to the golf course, spiritually speaking, before you guys rebel. <laughs> no, but in Christ, this is what we're here on this planet for, and we don't have much time. You only have one life to live, to be effective in the spiritual war, and then eternity in paradise with Christ. Eternity forever. So yes, there's dark times, there's difficult times, there's battles to be fought, there's confusion, there's darkness. But when you're in the midst of the battle, that's often when the Lord rains down, rains down judgment and comes upon and helps us and magnifies his name. The Bible says that if we pray these things according to his will, they will be done. If you pray with faith that a mountain is to be come down and go into the ocean, it will be done. But we are forgetting to pray according to his will, not our own. Lord, let your will be done, not ours. Instead, we come to the Lord and we pray, Lord, my will, my will, my will, why aren't you listening to me? You must not be there. I'm not going to pray anymore. 
Nothing could be farther from the truth. Well, let's read now verses 16 to 21. How does this continue, this miracle? Well, it says here in verse 16, But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not say, stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard, do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. Verse 21. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Shoo, I, I bet. I bet nobody moved their tongue against the nation of Israel. Now, isn't this a war crime? And if you don't think it's a war crime now, wait till you get the next few verses. But the five kings have run. They've run. They have been, not only have they been assaulted by the nation of Israel, God has literally rained down stones from heaven. You want to talk about exhausted. The hours have, comp- have even gone longer and longer than is humanly possible. Literally a miracle. And these five kings, they run to go hide in a cave. And Joshua finds out about it and he says, oh, let's just forgive our enemies and give them mercy. No, he says, roll a stone in front of it. I'll get back to them when I feel like it. And that's what they do. They put a stone up. And then they continue to chase down the retreating enemy. The enemy is retreating back to their fortified cities. There are no white flags here. They are chasing down, and there was a, quote, very great slaughter. Well, call the Geneva Conventions. Call the Hague, because this is just, this is just mean. How can you do that? How can, how can a good and righteous God allow this? Well, then we have to remember what this is about. This is the judgment of God on the Canaanite people. There is archaeological evidence that they pickled their infants and put them in the walls of their houses for good luck. They would sacrifice their children, their unwanted children. There's archaeological evidence to support this. They were worshiping idols. They were giving themselves over to sacrifice. They were giving themselves over to all kinds of immorals and evils. The entire culture was wicked, and God's had enough. He's bringing his righteous judgment upon these people. He's not going to allow it anymore. And we have a spiritual application here. There are things in our lives, there are sins that you're allowing. And you allow your sins to retreat back to their strong points, to get strong again, to come back. And you wonder why season after season after season, you're still struggling with these addictions. You're struggling with the mental warfare because you keep allowing the enemy to regroup. You keep allowing them to get stronger. You keep having that internet browser available. You keep talking to that coworker you're not supposed to be talking to. You keep going to the bar that one time just to blow off some steam. I mean, we can give example after example after example, and you let them. Why? Why are you letting them? Why are you letting that in your life? Block that number. Stop going to that place. Throw that television. Throw that TV. Throw that phone. Throw that internet. Throw it in the trash. Get rid of it. Stop making provision. 
Listen, you got a problem. If, if food is controlling you, stop eating. Fast and pray. Have no mercy. And stop letting the enemy regroup and attack you again. He's like you give them this, you give the enemy the sword to beat you with, and you wonder why it keeps hurting all the time. We will see throughout the rest of the nation of Israel's history that every time they show mercy to their enemies, there is generations of blood and warfare and conflict that never go away every time they stop. You are a conqueror in the name of Jesus over sin, death, and the devil. He can, and I, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus cannot lose. So when we are failing spiritually, now this is spiritual, why are we failing? Is Jesus failing? Is the word of God weak? Is his promises failing us? We are the common denominator, our flesh. Stop it. Stop it. Are you willing to starve out your enemy? Are you willing to spiritually roll that boulder and listen to the cries of your sin? Oh, I need to eat that. I need to drink that. I need to talk to that person. Oh, and they're crying for mercy, the sins, crying for mercy. Well, I'll just, let him, I'll just open the boulder, the boulder and just give him a little bit of water. Why? Let him cry. It's killing you. If you let those five kings out of those boulders, out of that cave, where are they going? Where are they going? Let's logically place. They're going back to their fortress. What are they going to do? Raise another army. What are they going to do? Attack the nation of Israel again. You can't show them mercy. Why are you? Stop it. Stop it. Now, second, the judgment of God in the book of Revelation will have no mercy. We have a just and merciful and loving God. He is just and merciful and loving because this same judgment that is on the Canaanites that God has instructed is on us in our sin. The punishment for sin is death in eternal hellfire. Every single one of us is due this same judgment, except he is so loving and merciful, he gave his only begotten son, and he didn't just forgive us to ignore us. Jesus took this wrath upon himself on the cross. You're not, you're not just forgiven like you're excused. You're forgiven because you're pardoned because the punishment was paid by another, and God took it upon himself on the cross on his only begotten son. And again, we keep, we keep referencing Hebrews. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And those very sins, those very sins that the Lord has forgiven us and taken the punishment for, you, and again, I preach to a mirror, pointing at myself, allow in your life to grow. And you add to that judgment that he takes upon himself. And we say, oh, it's no big deal. God, he, the Lord forgives me. I'll just, I'll just erase my browser history and just pray for forgiveness and everything will be okay. I'll just, I'll just flirt with that person for a little bit. You know, no big deal. Nothing will come of it. It's okay. You know, I'll just be angry with that person in my mind, even though Jesus said to be angry with them is to commit murder. And the Lord will just forgive me. It'll be okay. Well, our loving Savior is loving and gracious, and he will forgive you. But understand, that sin goes to the tally that he took on the cross for you. Nothing is free. Nothing is just ignored 
there's a consequence. The same way that the, the Canaanite nations are experiencing the consequences for their sin. It should make us to cry out to Jesus with forgiveness and love and compassion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for me. Well, it's not over. If you think this was tough, we got five kings in a cave. We've got the entire army of the five nations of the Canaanites. Their bodies are everywhere. Sorry to keep it graphic, but we've got to keep it biblical. And now what are they going to do? They're all coming back. They're all coming to see Joshua, verses 22 through 27. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And so it was. When they brought out those kings to Joshua, that Joshua called all for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on the necks, on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Verse 26. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at that time, at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, that they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. I mean, that's tough, huh? Graphic, terrible. Can you imagine the th- what they were begging, what they were saying? How did they die? I have no idea. Did they have like stern looks on their face? Were they resolved? Were they cowardly? Were they begging? No idea. No idea. They literally take them out of the cave. Joshua grabs the entire army, has their feet on their necks, and then assassinates them, executed. Then, just so everybody knows... They have those five guys hung up from a tree so everyone can see it. And they can point and say, if you go against God, that's what happens to you. If you go against God and God's judgment comes upon you, this is what happens to you. You think you can fight against the Lord, that's what happens to you. If you side with Satan and with demons and with idols, that's what happens to you. You murder your children, that's what happens to you. And God has no mercy on that. You know, when Jesus said, If you cause a little one of these to stumble, it is better for you that a millstone is round around your neck and you're thrown into the depths of the sea. That's not comedy. He's deadly serious about it. But then I want you to notice something. Jesus Christ also hung on a tree for me and you because that was us. We were supposed to hang up there. That was our judgment. We were to have, we had the neck of Satan's foot was on our neck, excuse me. Satan had us as a slave to him. We were in complete bondage to him in all of our trespasses and sins. But Christ, he hung on a tree for us so that we could be saved. This is deadly consequences, eternal consequences with this war with Satan over this world. And we just act like, oh, it's just no big deal. Jesus loves you. He's going to forgive you. Yes, he is. But do you understand the depth of that love, the consequences of that love, the wrath that he took upon himself so that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace.
I don't think we do. Because we play around with sin too much like it's just some habit that can be, that can be broken on our own will with our own power. We just play around with righteousness and purity and we just keep going back to Jesus and just treating it like it's cheap. Like, oh, no big deal. He'll just forgive us. No, it's a very big deal and he will forgive us. And he will take you back again. And he will forgive you again. And he will clothe you with righteousness. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. But be very, very clear. The wrath of God is very serious. But we are not appointed unto wrath. Do you remember that scripture? Why are we not appointed unto wrath? Because Christ took it upon himself. And then you realize that God is very, very serious. Now, to lighten the mood, at least to me, Satan one day will be chained and will be imprisoned and will be judged and he will be thrown in a cave and it will be locked up except that cave will be a lake of fire where he will have punishment for all of eternity where he after a millennium is let go and he's put into that lake of fire. He will never be out again because God's judgment is serious and it's from everlasting to everlasting and Satan will one day have the Lord's foot on his neck and he will be submitted to judgment forever and every other demon and fallen angel that's ever followed him and the Lord will return and he will reestablish his kingdom and it will follow a judgment where stones will come down from the sky and punish those that were in rebellion to him and of course we're talking about the book of Revelation the tribulation period you see the parallel now to Joshua chapter 10 and the judgment of God, to the book of Revelation and our future hope, the Bible is the most beautiful text on the face of the planet because it's written by the hand of God through faithful men. You can't make this up. You can't, no author on the planet could create something so magnificent. Only God himself. And you see how it all ties together. Well, Verses 28 through 43, and some of you are going to be upset and some of you are going to be very happy. We're going to skim through them because it's a summary of every city, single city. Israel leaves here and goes to every city, one after another of the five kings, and it just describes their judgment and their destruction. So we're going to skip on verses 28 through 43. Let's start in verse 40. And you're more than welcome to be upset with me and read those verses 37 times tonight out of spite. I triple dog dare you. (laughs) Verse 40. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south, and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon, All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Gilgal is so important. It's the base camp. Remember we talked about it? All these things are coming out of Gilgal. This is the place of the Lord where they're at. Now, we don't know if this period from verses 28 to 43, if that's weeks, if it's months, we don't know. We know it's a certain amount of time. But they do not lose a single battle. Christians, stop losing 
battles. Stop. Stop making it a habit of losing battles in your flesh, over sin, over the temptations in your life. Stop losing. If you're losing the battle, it's because you're doing it on your own. You're not being faithful. You're not, making, you're not confessing. You're not reading your Bible. You're not in fellowship. You're not praying. You're not making no provision for the flesh the way the Bible instructs you to do. Quit playing games. It is costly. But when you are seeking after the Lord, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And those things that you desire that are not pleasing to the Lord, if you seek after the Lord with all your might, heart, soul, and strength, they will not taste the same. <coughs> I'll just share with you one experience for me. I had a very, very difficult time to quit smoking tobacco. Very hard time. I, qu- I tell people I quit seven times and the last one took. And I was a very acute a period of time. I was a lot younger than I am now. I can't even imagine some of you that did stopped after like 40 plus years. But... Why, how was I able to do that when it was so difficult? Well, first of all, there was an argument like, well, it's not against the Bible. You can do it. So the first was an argument to realize that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in me, and that those things are not representative of him, and that a servant of the Lord should not do that and be in control of anything, because all things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any. And it was very clear that it had a power over me. I remember buying whole packs, sneaking it out of town. Megan's not around because she knows I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to do be doing that. I'm trying to be doing good. So Megan, I'm a, out of town. I go buy a whole pack. I sneak like one, man, that was pretty good. Two, I'm, I'm pretty depressed now. Number three, this is really disgusting. Why did I do this? I'm so ashamed of myself. See, my appetite had already begun to change. By the last one, halfway, two puffs into the first one, I was just utter disgust. It had completely changed, utter disgust, hatred for it, hatred. I threw the whole thing away, and then I complained because it was like $25 for that whole pack. I just wasted all my money, and I, what did I say? Well, that's what you get for being stupid. But the appetite had taste, and the taste had changed. Why? It wasn't because the product had changed. It was because my desire to please God overruled my own desires to please my flesh. My desire to represent him well. I knew I was called to serve him. I wasn't a pastor, but I knew I was called and I wanted to please God. And even though I was by myself in a town far away, I just I couldn't do it anymore. Christian, you can have the same thing. I'm not that smart. I'm not that intelligent. I'm definitely not handsome. So what do I got? Nothing but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But what else do you need? So you can have the same victory, the same victory that Joshua had. Number one, stop giving your enemy mercy. Your spiritual enemy, your flesh, stop giving it provision. Stop feeding it. Stop letting it run away. Stop it. When it moans, when it cries, when it complains, when it wants you to give it a little bit of mercy, No mercy, no provision for the flesh, the Bible says, none. We need to remember the cost. We need to remember the hanging on a tree, that Christ hung on a tree for that sin. And say, never again, never again. And then we need to declare that victory and follow through that victory. Remember, we need to pray that the sun stays still so that we can fight this fight even longer. Not get out of it, not escape it, not run away from it, not make it easier. 
You know, I, I play video games from time to time because I'm a young man. It happens. When I have a hard time in the video game, I want to know the story. So what do I do? I hit pause. I go down to difficulty level. And I change it. Guess which way I change it to? Easier. So I can go through the game. I want to see all the cool videos. Christian, why are you doing the same thing? Why? Why? Fight the good fight of faith like the scripture says and have victory. Have victory. A victorious Christian life. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But let us have tears of joy instead of tears of sorrow. Let us fight and have uh, pressure and difficulty in this life because we are carrying the banner of Christ as we follow the Lord instead of tears and anxiety and failure because of our personal failures. We only have one life to live. It's going to be tough no matter what. It might as well be tough being victorious for Christ. Knowing that in us dwells no good thing is not us winning the battle. Because what did it say in verse 42? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Crystal clear. It is God doing it, not them. Well, with that, we're going to close this evening. I went a little long. So remember, we have a prayer meeting on Thursday where you can have your intercessory prayer. Brothers and sisters will be up here for you. We're going to go ahead and close out in prayer for the evening. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that this message is your message. It's not us. We pray for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that victories are being are being written and discussed with you right now. I pray for the person that is already feeling conviction to go home, to throw it out, to turn it off, to cancel it. I pray it's done, Lord. Not just agreed to, but done. Some brothers and sisters need to go home and march all night through prayer to get to that battlefield. I pray, Lord, whatever it takes. Let your will be done in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us from iniquity, that you would change us and mold us and use us, and that our passion and our love for you would be what changes us. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you that the battle is already won in you. And so we lift these prayers to you and pray that you would answer them according to your will and purposes in Jesus' name.